podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router. And any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast on Tuesday, the 7th of February. And as I say that, I realize that when I say Tuesday, it sounds like C-H-E-W-S day, Tuesday. That's neither here nor there. But hello and welcome uh, back after a bank holiday weekend. Hope you're all well. You probably didn't have a bank holiday unless you're in this country. But, you know, we get one because we deserve one. Um, As I said last week, This is going to be a bit of a weird week because I'm not here tomorrow or Thursday. So there's only going to be two pods this week, which is a bit crap, but it is what it is. And unfortunately, there's nothing I can actually do about it at the moment because things just get in the way. 
Um, let's just jump straight in. I am going to touch on Man City, but I'm going to go through the games the weekend. First and foremost, we'll start with Chelsea against Fulham on Friday night. A fairly stale game of football. I thought Enzo looked really good in midfield for Chelsea, but there was no balance to that Chelsea team. Uh, Mudrick was awful. Havertz was poor. Mount was poor. Zayic looked like he didn't want to be there, probably because he didn't want to be there. Um, But I give huge credit to Fulham. I thought they worked really, really hard. I thought they pulled the best saves of the game out of Kepa. And if you were going to say one team should have won, it probably should have been Fulham. Joe Polina was unbelievable. What a signing. What an incredible signing he's been for them. Now, their form has dipped a little bit, and that's going to be of concern, but not as concerning as Chelsea's form. Um, Everton won Arsenal nil on Saturday morning. This was... I think the biggest shock of the season thus far. James Tarkovsky scoring the only goal of the game on 60 minutes, but be under no illusion. Everton deserved to win this game. Arsenal had 71% of the ball, but Everton used their 29% far, far better. And in truth, probably should have scored at least two goals in the first half. Everton played really well. Dyche lined them up in a 4-5-1. McNeil and Awobi as his wide midfielders. Dekure and Onana going box to box. And Idrissa Ganagay just floating in front of the defence, picking up loose balls and basically just being a pest and kicking Martin Odegaard whenever he got an opportunity. And They looked solid defensively, as you would expect of a Sean Dyche team. But that midfield worked so, so hard. It was really impressive. And I thought that was Dwight McNeil's best performance in an Everton shirt. He put in a couple of absolutely gorgeous crosses. Onana was the star of the show, though. I mean, Arsenal could not live with him and his physicality. They couldn't live with his pace, his driving runs from midfield. Every time he picked the ball up, he was able to gallop 40 yards, get Everton up the pitch, relieve a load of pressure. I I thought Dyche played it perfectly. And you have to give him huge credit because that Everton team were the worst in the league. Now, I know they weren't bottom, but let's take a look at the fact that Wolves, Bournemouth, Southampton and West Ham had all been tragically poor for their combined 40 games before the weekend, their combined 40 games before the weekend, they had seven wins combined. Four of them came against Everton. That's in the league alone. Seven wins from 40, four of them against Everton. That's not counting Bournemouth beating them in the cup as well. Everton were the worst team in the league and Dyche with a couple of days of training proving what a good manager can can do, or just a real manager can do, immediately turns things on its head and beats Arsenal, who'd only lost once all season. And, you know, I know Arsenal were missing Gabriel Jesus, but if we look at the rest of the team, Ramsdale, White, Saliba, Gabriel, Zinchenko, Thomas Partey, Granit Xhaka, Bakayo Saka, and Gabriel Martinelli, that's 10 of their best 11, or their, their first choice 11. I think their best 11 
has Tommy Astor at right back and Tierney at left back, but that's just me. But that is 10 of their first choice 11. And Eddie Nketiah, who's the odd man out there, has been in really good form since the World Cup. And Everton just ran over them. Ran over them. They couldn't live with Decoury. They couldn't live with Onana. If Everton continue to play like that, they've got Liverpool next. I, I, I think I fancied them to win the derby as well. Uh, moving on, Brighton won Bournemouth nil. Uh, Keru Matoma with the only goal of the game. I'm not convinced he's not the best player in the world. I'm just not. He has been ridiculous. And it's not just it's not just the goals and assists. It's the performance level as well. And then you get occasions where he doesn't perform all that well, but he gets a goal and an assist. Like, think about it this way. Until the year 2000, he wasn't a, a professional footballer. He had played university football till 2017, had a couple of years at uh, Kawasaki where he was on, like, it's not an academy contract, but it's almost like an apprentice contract. Gets in the first team, his debut season, he's played one game for Kawasaki before this. Gets in the team, 18 goals in 37 games, plus a clatter of assists. The next season, 12 and 24. Moves to Europe, goes to um, Union SG in Belgium, the club that Brighton own, or well, Tony Bloom owns. Eight goals in 29 games. Comes to the Premier League for this season. He's got 7 and 20 in all competitions, 5 and 15 in the Premier League. And he gets assists as well. Like, he probably, he's he's more of a creator than a goal scorer. So, I I just, I I am obviously messing when I say I think he's the best player in the world, but the form he's in is unbelievable. And even for Japan, he got one cap in 2021. And then in 2022, he got 12 caps and scored five goals. The kid is unstoppable 1v1. And he's 25 now. And he's only really being been playing football for three years. This is his fourth year, 2020, 2021, 2022. And now, I say playing football. I mean at a professional level. Obviously, he's been playing football his whole life. But at a professional level, he's been playing since he was 21. Ah, sorry, since he was 23. It's It's ridiculous. It's absolutely absurd what he's able to do. He would have been 2022. He would have been 22, actually, when he first got into the team at Kawasaki. 22 to now, and look at what he's done. It just goes to show that you can find great players everywhere, and development is not a linear thing. But for him to be where he is three years after his kind of senior uh, senior debut is just ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. What a player. Moving on. Moving on. Bright, great win for Brighton. Another disappointing defeat for Bournemouth. But I will say, some of Bournemouth's new signings 
Oatara looked good. Traore had moments. Semenyo looked good, but he really, really should have passed the ball to Oatara when he got got through uh, 2v1 against the last defender. He decided to take him on himself. He really should have passed that ball. Um, they've still got more to come back in to the team. I mean, uh, Zabarni has to come in. That will improve them defensively. They will get Lloyd Kelly back. He's injured again at the moment. He improves them defensively. I, I, I think they're going down, but I think they're going to actually give it a real fight this year. Uh, Manchester United 2, Crystal Palace 1. Bruno Fernandes with a penalty on seven minutes. It probably was a penalty. Rashford's cross, it hit Will, Will Hughes' arm. It did look like it was in an unnatural position, so that's fine. Rashford makes it 2 on 62 minutes. Casemiro sent off for violent conduct on 70 for trying to throttle Will Hughes. And then Jeff Schlupp made a 2-1 on six, a 76. And Palace had a couple of moments after that where you thought they might actually snatch a draw. But United hold on, get themselves a win, and continue to progress. Uh, Brentford 3, Southampton nil. Ben Mee, Brian Mbomo, and Matthias Jensen giving them a well-deserved a well-deserved win. Saints had their moments in the game, but Brentford just looked really, really ruthless. And their form is, is great at the moment. Uh, Wolves 3, Liverpool 0. Liverpool were garbage. Wolves played well and Wolves deserved the win. I've talked about it on the Daily Red. I'm not going to talk about it anymore. Aston Villa 2, Leicester City 4. Uh, I don't know what happened to Aston Villa here because they were the better team in this game. They were by far the better team in this game. And they just gifted Leicester goals over and over and over again. Uh, Ollie Watkins put them one up on nine minutes. James Madison equalizes on 12 after Emmy Martinez makes the most ridiculous decision I've ever seen a goalkeeper make. Plays the ball to Bubakar Kamara in his own, on the edge of his own box with two men marking him. Just no real reason behind it. Kamara does really well initially and gets away from them and then tries to get the ball back onto his right foot. He should just put his toe through it or whooped it with his left foot and send it as far away as he could. So the blame is a little bit shared, but I would I would blame Martinez personally. Uh, Harry Suter own goal put Villa 2-1 ahead on 32 minutes. Ian Acho on 41. Kenny Tete on the stroke of halftime. Uh, not Kenny Tete, just Tete. Um, on the stroke of halftime, give Leicester an undeserved lead that Villa have completely contributed to. All three goals you can watch and and just look at how appalling the defensive work is from Aston Villa. Dennis Pryor wrapped it up on 79 minutes. And at that point, Villa were just dead and buried. But they are entirely masters of their own demise in this game. Newcastle won, West Ham won. Callum Wilson put Newcastle one up on three minutes. And Lucas Paqueta equalised on 32 minutes. It was a fairly even game. The draw was the fair result. Nottingham Forest won, Leeds won. This was a good game. Brennan Johnson put Forest one up on 14 minutes, a great volley. Leeds had more of the ball, more chances after that. Keylor Navas made a couple of great saves. But Forest had a couple of very good counter-attacking opportunities that they just didn't make the most of. Um, a great win for Forest. Leeds will be obviously quite concerned, and we'll come back to them. Tottenham won, Manchester City nil. Tottenham just seemed to have City's number. 
over the last couple of years. And I know they lost a couple of weeks ago, but they were two up at half time. And Hugo Lloris gifted City away back into that game. But Harry Kane scored on 15 minutes. If anyone can explain what City were doing, trying to play out from that position, giving it to Rico Lewis, facing his own goal with a man behind him, a much bigger, more physical man. Bizarre. Harry Kane finishes, makes it 1-0. From there, Spurs had the better counter-attacking opportunities and probably should have scored a second. But City did have some chances, and Riyad Mahrez hit the crossbar. But Haaland looked completely disinterested. He had no impact on the game. Grealish was garbage again. City's team selection was bizarre. Ederson in goal, Walker, Akanji, Ake, and Lewis as a back four. So Lewis playing left back. So he could step into midfield and do the Canseo role. Mares, Rodri, Bernardo Silva, Jack Grealish, Julian Alvarez, and Erling Haaland. Now, on paper, that's a pretty strong team. But when you think that Ruben Diaz on the bench, he's miles better than Akanji. Calvin Phillips is on the bench. Fair enough, Rodri's better than him. But Gundigan is a better central midfielder than Bernardo Silva and should have been on the pitch. Laporte is their best centre-back. He's on the bench. Kevin De Bruyne is their best player probably ever. He's on the bench. Like, if someone can explain to me why four lads who should absolutely be starting are sat on the bench and two of them don't get on. Now, admittedly, they had two centre-backs, but if you improve your defence, you can improve the rest of your team by making that defence stronger and give everybody else a bit more confidence in what's behind them. I think Guardiola looks like he's trying to sabotage the season. Whether it's because he's bored whether it's because he's trying to force the owners to spend more money because, you know, please, Daddy Sheik, give me another billion. I don't know, but chickens are coming home to roost for City, which we'll get into. Uh, the league table then. Arsenal top. They remain five points clear despite losing at the weekend. They do have a game in hand. Manchester United are third, three points behind City. Newcastle are a further two points back. Then Tottenham are a point behind Newcastle in fifth, but do ha- have played a game more. Brighton sit sixth. They are five points behind Spurs, but have two games in hand. Brentford now sits seventh. They are a point behind Brighton. They have played a game more than Brighton. Fulham dropped to eighth. That's two defeats and a draw in the last three. Little bit of a dip, which I think they will be a little bit concerned about and they'll want to rectify the other. Their stated aim for the season was staying in the division. They're pretty much there, so they'll be okay. But 32 points from 22 games. Then it's Chelsea, 30 points from 21. Liverpool in 10th. Chelsea in 9th. Liverpool in 10th. uh, 29 points from 20 games. Villa in 11th. 28 points from 21 games. If they'd won the game they should have won at the weekend, they'd be 9th ahead of both Chelsea and Liverpool. Crystal Palace in 12th, despite not having won in the last five games. Uh, they have 24 points from 21 games. Nottingham Forest, I, I I thought they'd be fine. It looks like they're going to be fine. 24 points now from 21 games. Uh, they've opened up a six-point gap between them and the bottom three. Not insurmountable, but three wins from the last four, unbeaten in the last five. They're playing better football. They're more organized. And having dropped Steve Cook, they've turned their season around. Steve Cooper should just ring me whenever he has a question. 
I, I told him it would work. Um, Leicester City then in 14th, 21 points in 21 games. Wolves in 15th, 20 points from 21 games. West Ham, 19 points from 21 games. Leeds United, 18 points from 20 games. So win their game in hand and they can jump their way up the table a little bit now, not very much, but up to 15th, um, barring a, a 4-0 win. Um, then we have the bottom three, which is Everton, also 18 points, but 21 games played. Bournemouth, 17 points from 21 games played. And Southampton, 15 points from 21 games played. Um I think Dyche might keep Everton up. I I was almost certain they were going to go down, but watching them at the weekend, they would they just looked a completely different team. And he's I I've always been a Dyche fan. I've said it on this podcast countless times. I think he's one of the most underrated managers around. I th- think he was a top ten manager in the league when he was at Burnley. Um, I think when you look at the job he did there, he overperformed basically every year to last year. He's he's a very good manager. He really is a very good The style of football is not for everybody. The persona is not for everybody, but he's very good at what he does. And I think he might keep them up. And now I think that, because I was looking at Bournemouth, I think they're going. Southampton, they have the talent, but I, the manager's awful. He is absolutely awful. And the garbage he comes out with himself is just incredible. Talking about how he's one of the best managers in Europe. Like, have yourself a bit of a cop on, lad. You're not going to see out the season. They're already considering getting rid of you. You've been there three months. So I would be hushing fairly quick. Um, if they get a good manager in, uh, they have a real chance, but who knows? And then there's Leeds, who who now to me look the team most at risk. Now they've made a move. They've sacked Jesse Marsh. That was announced yesterday. And it's hard to argue with that decision. Now, I like Jesse Marsh. I think he's a good coach. But when you've got the likes of Patrick Bamford kind of publicly criticizing the tactical approach. Now, some have said, oh, well, you could look at it as criticism of the team and his teammates. I wouldn't. I'd look at it as criticism of the manager, criticism of the tactical approach. I think Leeds need to be really careful now with who they appoint to replace him. Now, they've got a game coming up before they're going to have an appointed a new manager. They're going to play Manchester United tomorrow. Now, they also play United again at the weekend. They've got them at Old Trafford tomorrow and at Ellen Road on Sunday. Chances are they might have a new manager by Sunday. Will they have had time to work with the team? Probably not. Then they get Everton, then Southampton. I mean, this is, a, this is difficult because these are teams down there with you. If you end up losing all four of them, you're going to find yourself, you know, close to or bottom of the league. Now, Guy is giving me the odds here to replace him. Carlos Corberon, five to four. He's the favorite. I would avoid him personally. I don't think there's enough of a track record with him. He obviously did a really good job at Huddersfield after a poor first season. He's doing a really good job at West Brom, but he was a disaster at Olympiacos. And I would want to see more from him than the 16 games he's had at West Brom. 
I know he's been at Leeds before. He was there under Bielsa, so they have a, a relationship with him. But I, I would still hold off on going with someone like him. Next, then, we have Andoni. I, I can't even pronounce it, sir. Ayarola? Ayarola? Uh He's the manager of Rayo Vallecano. He's done a very, very good job there. They play lovely football. He has them overachieving. But again, to bring him into a new league without a real track record of success, I'd be hesitant to go there. Bielsa is next. That should just be a no. Pochettino, I don't think there's any possibility that Pochettino would take that job. And Postacoglu, yeah, it's nice to have dreams, but he's not taking that job. Ralph Hasenhutl, I mean, your issue is you can't defend. Ralph Hasenhutl is just going to make it worse. Ivan Juric is kind of the same. He's not a good defensive coach at all. Um, he's currently manager Torino. I don't know if he'd walk away from that job. Nuno Espirito Santo, he could be an option. He could be an option. Gerard is a disaster, so he should be a no. Kettle Knutson's the most interesting name on this list. Now, again, it's a big step up to move from Bodo Glimt to a Premier League job, but he does have a lot of experience. However, he's got no experience outside of Norway, so that's a question mark in itself. If I was them, I would be potentially throwing a lot of money at Marcelo Gallardo. Now, I know he's got no experience in the Premier League, but he did eight years at River Plate, so he's eight years at one of the biggest clubs in the world. And he's had success. He won the Argentine title. He won three Cups. He won two Copa Libertadores. He won the uh, Sudamericana, which is their Europa League. He's a very, very accomplished manager, South American coach, uh, three years in a row from 18 to 20. So he's absolutely one that I'd consider. However, the one I'd go for is Abel Ferreira, who's currently the head coach of Palmeiras. He has plenty of experience under his belt from Braga to PAOK to Palmeiras. He has had immense success with Palmeiras, won the Brazilian title this past season, won two Copa Libertadores. He is he's an excellent coach. And the reason I would go for him, even though Gallardo might be a better coach, the reason I go for him is because the one thing he is exceptional at is setting his team up defensively. His teams are very good defensively. Now, the goals against records aren't hugely impressive. Like at Braga, 102 games in charge, 109 goals conceded. So just just a hair over one per game. That's good. Uh, with PAOK, 51 in 57. That's good. With Palmeiras, 151 and 189. That's elite level. Now, he's also at Palmeiras overseeing a team that scored 323 goals. So they're scoring two for every one they concede. That's a recipe for success. He was a good coach with Sporting's B team, with Braga's B team. I think he would make a lot of sense because I think he would give the team real balance. 
I think when you look at the Leeds squad, there's an awful lot of talent there. However, there are some flaws. I think the goalkeeper's talented, but I think he's too young. I think he's too inexperienced. I know this is his third season as first choice, but he's still making the same error as he was two years ago. And that's problematic to me. Now, Rasmus Christensen has lost his place of late. I don't really understand why, but he should be the starting right back. I think Struyek as a left back works well. If Robin Koch can stay fit as he has done this season so far, then him and Wober is absolutely a pairing that you can build off of. In midfield, you're going to have some good options. Weston McKenney's there now. He made his debut at the weekend. Tyler Adams is obviously a quality player. Mark Rocha is a quality player. That can be a two or a three. You've got Brandon Aronson. He can play as a 10. He can play wide. There's there's a lot of midfield talent there. You can play uh, Jack Harrison as a midfielder if need be. You've got multiple options in the number 10. He likes to go 4-2-3-1, does, does Abel Ferreira. So uh, let's say he goes with Rocha and and Adams and McKenney then is the rotation option. That's really strong. Aronson as the 10, that will work well. Bamford as the 9, as long as he's fit, that will work well. And then you've got a ton of really, really promising wide options. Rodrigo can play wide, but he's not the most prolific of players, though he's had a very good season this year. But in terms of prolific, I mean performances. He's very inconsistent performance-wise. But you've got Sinistera, who's super talented. You've got Jorginho Ruter, who's super talented. You've got Wilfred Nonto, who's super talented. And you've got, when he comes back, Somerville, who's super talented. You've got four really good options there. You've also got Jack Harrison as an option, who's talented but consistent as well. So you've got loads of different options there in those wide areas. I think this squad suits what Abel Ferreira wants to do. I think he can make a strong back four with Christensen, Cock, Wober, and Struik. I think that can be a strong back four with a double pivot sat in front. I think Leeds could start to sit in, be more defensive-minded, play a deeper block, and then look to hit teams on the counter because you've got lightning-fast wingers in the likes of Nanto. Somerville, Ruter and Sinistera. And Aronson's very quick. And then you've got a, a goal scorer in Bamford, who, you know, and if Bamford's not fit, fair enough, you play Rodrigo, he's getting goals this season. But there's more than enough there to stay up. And if you need to be more solid in certain games, you leave one of the front four out, you bring in Weston McKenney, and all of a sudden you're in you're in great shape. I this Leeds team should not be where they are, but it does it does speak to how how strong the bottom of the league actually is. But I think Leeds have to get this appointment right because it would be very easy for them to go down. It would be very very easy to, for them to go down. If they go down, they're going to be in big trouble because they spend a lot of money. Now they're probably in a situation where they could sell off, you know, quite a few of that team. 
there would be a lot of interest in them. It's just, it's funny to me when teams do things like this. They're like, they sacked Jesse Marsh on the 6th of February. But yet in the January transfer market, they allowed him to bring in Wesson McKenney. They allowed him to bring in Wober and Ruther and Montero. Now, if McKenney stays, I think the purchase price, if I'm not mistaken, is somewhere in the region of around 25, 30 million. Now, factor in, they paid about 45 million for the other three they brought in and the, and the loan fee for him. You're talking about a 70 million commitment they made in January under this manager. It just, it seems, it seems bizarre that you would make such a commitment. But we've, we've seen this. We saw it with Chelsea as well. They did, they allowed Tuchel to spend huge amounts or they spent huge amounts with Tuchel and then they sacked it. If I was Leeds, Abel Ferreira is who I would go for and I would throw the biggest bag of money he'd ever seen at him. Now, look, he might turn it down. He's currently the manager of arguably the best club in South America, but he is Portuguese. He might want to be closer to home. And he's there's definitely a possibility to pay him more than he's earning with, with Palmeiras. And he's also starting to see his Palmeiras team broken up. You know, two of his starters went to Nottingham Forest in January. So maybe he'd like a, a restart as well. That That's who I would go for. If not him, I'd try Gallardo. Gallardo. But I think Ferreira, for, for a team that needs to survive, I think he makes more sense. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll get into a little bit on Manchester City. Um, the other bits of Premier League news and we've got loads of gossip to catch up on so I'll see you in a sec right welcome back so unless you've been living under a rock you will have heard that the Premier League has charged Manchester City with more than 100 breaches of its financial rules following a four year investigation it has, revert, re, it has referred the club to an independent commission over alleged breaches of rules between 2009 and 2018. It has also accused City of not cooperating since the investigation began in December of 2018. City say they are surprised by the charges and are supported by a body of irrefutable evidence. The commission can impose punishments ranging from a fine and points deduction to expulsion from the Premier League. Manchester City is surprised by the issuing of these alleged breaches of the Premier League rules, particularly given the extensive engagement and vast amount of details material, detailed materials that the Premier League has been provided with, the club said in a statement. The club welcomes the review of this matter by an ind- independent commission to impartially consider the comprehensive body of irrefutable evidence that exists in support of its position. As such, we look forward to this matter being put to rest once and for all. City's statement stank of arrogance and lies. And if the Premier League have spent four years on this, 
you would imagine they have them dead to rights on a couple of things. Now, bear in mind, this stops in December 18. That's that's where they, they, they began investigating the point at which they were in time. So everything is up to December 2018. However, they have made City aware of the fact that they are now investigating from that point to now. In a statement, the Premier League said City breached rules requiring them to provide accurate financial information that gives a true and fair view of the club's financial position. This information uh, covered club revenue, which includes sponsorship income and other operating costs. Further alleged breaches relate to rules requiring full details of of manager remuneration from the 09 to 2012-13 seasons when Roberto Mancini was in charge and player remuneration from 10-11 to 15-16. As we know, there has been allegations that City have been subsidising players' wages with, shall we say, part-time jobs that they've got them signed up for in Abu Dhabi. Um, The Premier League said City breached rules relating to UEFA rules relating to UEFA regulations, including financial fair play from 2013-14 to 2017-18, as well as Premier League rules on profitability and sustainability from 15-16 to 17-18. In 2020, FIFA ruled that City had committed serious breaches of FFP between 2012 and 2016. However, a two-year ban from European competition was overturned by the Court of Arbitration for Sport later that year. UEFA began its nego- its investigation into City after Der Spiegel published leaked documents alleging the club had inflated the value of a sponsorship deal. The proceeding of the commission will be confidential and heard in private. When the Premier League investigation began, City said the allegations were entirely false and that allegations in Der Spiegel came from the illegal hacking and out-of-context publication of City emails. So here's the thing. The Premier League don't, <clears throat> don't just have that. They have more. City fans' reaction was, oh, we beat UEFA. No, you didn't. You lost the case to UEFA. You had it overturned on two technicalities. One, they deemed that the De Spiegel emails were inadmiss- inadmissible. That's not the case here because the Premier League don't just have those emails. Number two, it was about the statute of limitations. Because of when the issues that FIFA punished them for took place, or sorry, that UEFA punished them for took place, the CAS ruled that they were too far gone to punish. That's not the case here. There is no statute on how long back, or how far back, I should say, the Premier League can go with this. There is also no possibility for City to appeal this to CAS. City were not giving adv- given advanced warning of the Premier League statement, according to Simon Stone. They were called at the same time the statement was published. They also note the timing of the statement given the white paper on football government governance is about to be published. City are confident in the position that includes that the charges were that were time-barred in their UF case, which they would have been dead to rights on, regardless of what they say. They would have been dead to rights on those if they weren't time-barred by CAS. 
City will try and drag this out as long as possible. And City will throw a lot of money at this. The Premier League know this is going to be expensive. They knew that from day one. And they're prepared for this. Now, there's no real way out here for City. Because they can't just come to some agreement with the Premier League. They can't just settle this because that's an admission of guilt. So they have to fight this the whole way, which means they'll have to go through this commission and then they'll have to go through an appeals process. This is going to take a couple of years, and rightly so. This is the biggest scandal in the history of Premier League football. This is maybe the biggest scandal in the history of English football outside of the child molestation, which is obviously a far more serious thing. But this is enormous, and the ramifications for this are massive. So let's just consider the fact that since Abu Dhabi bought Manchester City in 2008, they have won six Premier League titles and 17 total trophies. Now, let's remember, prior to Abu Dhabi, City had had more relegations than trophies in the previous 35 years or however long. City were not a club that was able to compete at the top level. City were not a club that were in any way commercially attractive. If you consider that City have moved grounds, obviously, from Main Road to the City of Manchester Stadium or the Etihad or whatever you want to call it, there's obviously a bigger capacity than there was at Main Road, but Main Road was packed all the time. The Etihad isn't. And it's often notably not a sellout. Now, they'll they'll announce it as a sellout because they just buy the tickets themselves, but there's thousands, and I do mean thousands, of empty seats at a lot of City games. But City have been quite flagrant with their, let's just call it what it is, cheating. They've been quite flagrant with it in a number of ways. Number one, there's been a number of sponsorship deals announced that are very clearly hokey, where it's been proven by multiple people that the companies they're claiming are new partners don't exist. But yet City are still including them in their financial records. City tried to claim that their commercial revenue went up significantly during the pandemic when every other club either stagnated or saw their commercial revenue drop a little bit. Cities claim theirs went up a lot. And City fans always repeat the same thing. Oh, well, we've had success, so obviously there's going to be commercial interest. It's not how it works. It's not how it works. Commercial interest from companies is linked to your fan base. Think to how big a club you are. Think to how many eyeballs are on you. City don't do the same kind of TV numbers as Liverpool and United and Arsenal, Chelsea. They just don't. They don't sell the same amount of tickets. They don't sell the same kind of merchandise. They don't have that global appeal. 
They just don't. Yes, you've got glory hunters and hangers on, but those people don't buy anything. And those people don't generate money. There is zero chance, zero chance that Manchester City as a commercial entity bring in higher revenue than Real Madrid, Barcelona, Liverpool, Manchester City and Bayern Munich. Zero, zero, zero chance. But yet they claim they do. And even if they were to somehow get past the over 100 charges that they've been levied against them, there is still another case to come from 2018 to now where the cheating has become even more flagrant. Now, we know, we've known all along that the Etihad sponsorship deal was fake, that City are sending money to Etihad from the ownership, which is then being sent back to the club with a small add-on from the, the company. And no doubt there's a few other deals like that. We also know that there's a strange situation where not all City players and personnel are contracted to Manchester City. Some are contracted by and paid by the City Football Group. And it then leads to the wider question of, if this is happening at City, is it also happening at the other City Football Group entities? Is that another investigation that is to take place? Now, City's view of it is one of arrogance, which is we have more money, we don't care, we'll spend as much as it takes and we'll just tie you up in knots. And that's fair enough. But why do you need to do that if you've done nothing wrong? City fans saying, oh, we've got the best lawyers. Why do you need them if you've done nothing wrong? Then I've seen other City fans say, yeah, we cheated and what? People cheat in other sports. Yeah, and they get banned. <laughs> and their, their, their stuff gets taken off them. Lance Armstrong is Manchester City. Now, look, I'm not going to sit here and demand that the titles that they won be taken off them and given to the teams that finished second because I don't think that's how it should work. If you look around other sports at teams that have been done for things like this, for financial fraud, basically, uh, the only time a champion that I can find in recent years that a champion has had a case of fraud proven against them was the Melbourne Storm in the NRL, the National Rugby League in Australia. And they had two titles stripped from them. Now, those titles sit vacant. They were not given to the teams that finished runner-up. And I think if If these titles are stripped from City, they should be left vacant. And they should be held as, if you cheat, this is what happens. Now, I understand that a lot of Liverpool fans will not like that because Liverpool have been have been robbed of multiple league titles. City have finished three of their title wins. They finished a maximum of two points ahead of Liverpool. Two points in 13-14, one point in 17-18, 
sorry, in 1819 and one point last season. They've beaten Liverpool by one point, one point and two points. But, and look, if those titles are taken off and given to Liverpool, fair enough. But I, I would imagine it's much more likely that they get left vacant because it just doesn't seem like they're going to start rewriting the history books. It's easier to just scrub City from them than to pretend that Liverpool or Manchester United in those other three titles, United finished second once on goal difference. Now, the other two, there were 18 points and 12 points behind. And I don't think you can be given the title when you finish 18 points behind in the team. So that's part of why I I think they're more likely to say, we can't really give a title to United when they finish 18 points behind. So I think if they are to strip titles, I think it's more likely that they'll just mark them as as vacated or void or whatever. Now, people have obviously pointed to um, Syria in the Calciopoli case where Juventus finished top, but the title was was stripped. Now, Juventus obviously had the 0405 and 0506 titles taken off them as part of Calciopoli. The 0405 title is left vacated. It was not given to anybody. It wasn't given to Milan because they were also found to have cheated. And then Inter finished third and it wasn't given to them. Uh, in 0506, it was given to Inter because Juventus had um, basically been relegated. But it is worth remembering Juventus finished 15 points clear. Now, I, to this day, would class that as a vacated title. Relegate Juve, whatever. But I, I just don't think you can... I don't think Inter should really be classing that as a title one when they finish 15 points back. But regardless, the reason it was given to Inter is because they basically relegated Juve on that season. The previous season, they didn't relegate them. So Juve technically were still top, which is why it's vacated. And I think the same thing will happen to City. I think they'll have to vacate the previous season's titles. Maybe, maybe, might not happen, might not happen at all. I think, But I think you could see them have to vacate their titles. And potentially, they get relegated whenever this comes to an end. Now, it might not come to an end for two or three years. But I do think they are looking at relegation. Now, whether it's relegation to the championship or further, I don't know. Because the Football League could very easily refuse them entry and they'd have to start in non-league, which would be catastrophic, obviously. Everything is on the table here. Everything is on the table. Some people have said, oh, it'll just be a big fine. I don't think it will. Because I don't think that it spent four years investigating just to find them. I think they're going to look for something bigger here. And maybe it is a big fine and they strip them the titles and they leave them in the division and they give them a transfer ban. Maybe it's something like that. But you'd have to imagine there's going to be future ramifications for City here as well. Are players going to want to sign there knowing that they've been involved in stuff like this? Eventually, yes, obviously. But certainly not in the short term. Will managers be attracted to it knowing that there's more investigations to come? I don't know. Like Guardiola said 
when asked about this a while back, if if I find out that they've lied to me, I'll I'll quit the next day. It's as if he didn't know. As if he didn't know. Pep, buddy, that Abu Dhabi-based snowplayer rental company that appointed you as a board member and pay you a salary, they didn't do that because of your, of your experience with snow. They did it because it supplements your salary. I think this is going to go for a couple of years. I think this is going to be bigger than what people think, and I certainly don't think it's just going to end in a fine. And I don't think City can get out of this one. I really don't. Now, I could be wrong, and maybe they do, but everybody, everybody knows that they've cheated, and everybody knows that their titles are tainted. And you'd, you'd nearly have more respect for them if they just turned around and said, yeah, we did, and what? Here, here's here's a hundred million. We'll pay a hundred million fine. Let's just let's just put this all to bed. We pay, we'll pay a hundred million, and we'll take a transfer ban for a year, and let's just leave the rest of that. I'd have more. I'd have far more respect for them if they just came out and did that. Far more respect. But the the way that City carry themselves on this. It would make you want to see it burn. And I've, the thing is, I, I grew up liking City. My stepfather is a City fan. So I've always had a soft spot for them. And when they started to win, I was delighted for them. But the way they've reacted to anyone trying to put any kind of rules in place, it that really bothers me. Like, their owners are owners of a great institution that they've turned into a bit of a plaything for themselves, obviously, but that club will exist after they go in one shape or another. It will exist after they go. And they're involved in the Premier League, these owners, as guests of the Premier League, an entity that existed before them and will exist after them. And if they're not willing to play by the rules, then Pack up and go. Simple as that. The reports coming out of City, Mike Keegan's had a couple of reports on this already, are that City are in panic mode. And City think that everything is at stake here, including potentially the the continued involvement of Abu Dhabi in Manchester City Football Club. So... We'll see what happens. But this is not going to be over anytime soon. This is going to run and run and run. This is going to be a long process. And for the City fans who think, oh, it's fine. We'll just go and join the Super League. The Super League doesn't want you. They don't want you. They don't want PSG. The Super League was been founded to combat you, to combat the level of cheating that you and PSG have done with your financial fraud. That's why the other clubs were so keen to go and do it. You were invited the last time because people want to see you fail when everything's on an even keel. 
and when real strict rules are put in place about salary, about transfer fees, about commercial deals, when proper rules are put in place, let's see you live with the big boys then. That's why the Super League was being created. It was to combat you. And they invited you in PSG to watch you fail. You won't be invited next time. Especially considering you're the ones that leaked it to the Premier League to try and carry favour that this was happening. So, you know, hush. Anyway, Chelsea have hired All Blacks leadership manager and mental skills coach Gilbert Inoka on a short-term consultancy role. Uh, Gilbert Inaka is a legend in the rugby sphere. Uh, he's been part of the New Zealand coaching staff for close enough to 20 years now. He was involved in the squads that won the World Cup in 2011 and 2015. And he is famous for implementing the no dickheads policy. And the no dickheads policy is something that Liverpool have basically copied at the club. It's something that they've worked on as well. He's also worked with New Zealand's cricket team and the netball team. Uh, he's a legendary figure here. He's a former PE teacher who just became notorious for his ability to create team cultures and help people settle into new environments and things like that. So uh, I think this is actually a very clever appointment by Chelsea, even though I've seen some people snigger at it. I think this is one of the cleverer things they've done. Now, it's a short-term thing, not a long-term thing. So we'll see how much of an impact it has. But uh, implementing a no-dickhead policy at Chelsea might be a little bit tough. Might be a little bit tough. Um, Let's move on then. To the gossip, we have Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Newcastle have joined the race for Jude Bellingham. No, they haven't. Fiorentina were left frustrated by Todd Bowley as the Chelsea owner took it upon himself to try and sign Sofian Amrabat on loan on deadline day. This was because they thought the Enzo Fernandez deal was falling through. Uh, River Plate are set to receive almost £28 million for Enzo Fernandez. That's on top of the 18 they got from in the summer. So they got £46 million for Enzo Fernandez. That is outstanding business from River Plate to include that sell-on clause. Chelsea's homegrown players fear the club will be forced to sell them to avoid financial fair play trouble if the club miss out on Champions League qualification. And it looks very, very likely that they will miss out on Champions League qualification this year. Tottenham almost had a deal done for Gerard Delefeu before the player was ruled out for the rest of the season with a knee injury. I doubt it. The agent of Moises Caicedo has criticised Brighton for denying the Ecuador midfielder, a move to Arsenal and said the opportunity may not be repeated. The agent is a fool who, if Caicedo has any cleverness about him, he'll actually get rid of that agent straight away and get somebody else who's not going to piss Tony Bloom off. English winger Jack Harrison is expected to sign a new improved contract at Leeds United in the coming weeks. Isco is still looking for a new club and will continue to look because he is garbage. Everton have looked into signing Isco. Sean Dyche would kill him within about 35 seconds of starting training. Juventus are considering the possibility of terminating the contract of Paul Pogba. That would be the first smart thing Juventus have done in years. France striker Olivier Giroud is expected to extend his contract at AC Milan by an, by an additional year. Nigerian tech billionaire 
Dozy Mabozy, that can't be his real name, is close to competing a 90 million takeover of championship side Sheffield United. I am led to believe that there is some uh, tomfoolery taking place in the Dozy Mabozy uh, takeover because the airline that he says he owns is actually fake. And uh, nobody knows who this guy is. Like, there's no real track record of this guy ever having made billions. Everything you'll find online was kind of created within the last week. Um, I have a feeling this is uh, somewhat fraudulent because the airline that they're talking about is not a real airline. There's no evidence they've ever flown a single plane. And the pictures on the website that they put forward, um, they're photoshopped. So uh, I think that might be um, nonsense. Uh, Max Ahrens turned down two unnamed Premier League clubs in order to help Norwich win promotion back to the Premier League. Fair play. Uh, Manchester United and PSG are, will be expected to pay a fee of at least $90 million if they want to sign Victor Osman. It will be probably substantially more than that. Arsenal have made agreeing terms with Bakayo Saka and William Saliba a priority with Manchester City interested in the England winger. After a hectic transfer window, ever, uh, sorry, Chelsea have turned their attention to extending the contract of Mason Mount. I don't think he wants to stay, if I'm being honest. Manchester City want Alexis McAllister to replace Ilke Gundigan. That's a clever one. That actually makes sense. Fair play. Sources close to Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang say he is shocked and disappointed to be left out of the Champions League squad by Chelsea and is convinced the club want to get rid of him. They did try and get rid of him in the window, so he shouldn't be too surprised. Manchester United have agreed a new four-year contract with Alejandro Garnacho. Fair enough. Staff at Old Trafford are split over whether Mason Greenwood should resume his career at the club. The answer is no, he should not. Greenwood is eyeing a move to China to restart his career if United decide to sack him. Manchester United are considering a move for Anzu Fati. Nonsense. West Ham and Everton will have to wait until the summer to make a move for Geraldo Becker after Union Berlin were reluctant to let him go in the Champions in the January window because they're pursuing Champions League football. LA Galaxy right-back Julian Arejo's move to Barcelona has fallen through after FIFA ruled that the paperwork was submitted too late. That is such a shame for him. He is very, very talented. Uh, Mexican international. He's very, very talented. I wouldn't be surprised if Barca go back for him in the summer. I'd imagine that deal can be easily put together. I don't think it was too expensive either. I think it was like four million or something. Um, Utrecht's former United States under-19 midfielder Taylor Booth is being monitored by Eric Ten Hag. Okay. Um, Marseille tried to sign Seiko Mara on loan in January, but Southampton had no interest in letting him go. Chelsea are set to ask for exemptions from Premier League spending rules when they submit their latest accounts arguing they were unable to receive income for three months last year after the previous manager was sanctioned by the UK government. This is nonsense. Um, Nonsense. 
England defender Harry Maguire and Scotland midfielder Scott McTominay will lead an exodus of six big-name players at Manchester United this summer. West Ham are, sec- are confident of securing over £80 million for Declan Mediocre. Um, Declan Rice. Uh, Chelsea want to reward Conor Gallagher with a new improved contract after refusing to let him go. They didn't refuse to let him go. He turned down a move after they accepted a bid. Barcelona, Atletico Madrid and AC Milan have made inquiries with Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Why? The window's closed. He'll be available in the summer. Everybody knows that. The window is closed. Chelsea are set to rival Manchester United for Victor Osman. I doubt it. Wolves want, sorry, Atletico Madrid want Wolves 20-year-old Spanish defender Hugo Bueno. I'd sell him happily if I was Wolves. I don't think he's much good. Manchester City are set to give Rico Lewis a bumper pay rise, which would see him earn 25 grand a week. That's, yeah, that's obviously something you would do because he's been, didn't have a great game the weekend, but he has been one of their standout players over the last two months. Arsenal and Tottenham are among the clubs that have shown interest in Ansu Fati. Uh, Bayern Munich are the most keen. It's gathering a little bit of steam that he might leave. English keeper Anthony Patterson could leave Sunderland this summer. He is wanted by Wolves and Leicester. Arsenal, the favourites, sign Leicester midfielder Yuri Thielemans. That one's been rumbling for a long time. Real Madrid were offered the chance to sign Jao Canseo. He turned, uh, they turned that down. Uh, Spain midfielder Isco is waiting for a proposal from Everton. Trust me, buddy, it's not coming and you don't want it to. Liverpool will listen to offers for Joel Matip in the summer. They should listen to offers for quite a lot of the squad. Carlos Corberon been linked with Leeds. Former Chelsea boss Jose Mourinho wants to return to Stamford Bridge, wants that Bowley cash. Chelsea are open to hiring Luis Enrique if they choose to replace Graham Potter. I don't think he's any good, personally. I, I, I'm not a fan of Enrique. I know he had a great time at Barca. He had the best front three of all time. He had two-thirds of the best midfield of all time. If you couldn't win with that group, he, I, I think you might just be in a coma or something. Newcastle will keep tabs on Conor Gallagher after holding talks with Chelsea in January. Fulham have placed a £35 million price tag on Anthony Robinson. That might be one of the most ridiculous things I've heard in a while. Uh, Atletico Madrid have moved ahead of Juventus in the race to sign N'Golo Kante. Formal bids to buy Manchester United are expected this week. Uh, Jim Radcliffe is the favourite. Uh, offers are expected to pass four billion, which is fine, except that the owners want six billion, and then or or seven billion or more, and then you also have to take on the debt and pay for all the infrastructure upgrades. Uh, Liverpool are prepared to sell Quevin Callagher. Makes sense. Liverpool and Aston Villa are set to test Athletic Bilbao's resolve next summer with bids for Nico Williams. And Ohan Sunset as well. He's a good player. I wouldn't be against getting a bit of him. Um, I do like him. I do like him. Um, Bayern Munich Sporting Director Hassan Salahamazic says the £60 million fee for a permanent deal for Xiao Canseo will be difficult to meet. They're not buying him permanently. Felipe Coutinho has been lined up for a loan transfer to Galatasaray. That would make sense from uh, Paris Saint-Germain on talks with Lionel Messi over a new deal. 
On to the last day's worth then. Paris Saint-Germain want to sign Bernardo Silva, who is open to leaving City. He's been open to leaving City for a while. Harry Maguire, Anthony Martial, Alex Tellez are, the, are among the players United will look to sell to raise money for Harry Kane or Victor Osman. Tottenham will not sell Kane to a rival club this summer. I don't think they're going to sell him at any point. I think he's going to stay. Manchester United will be required to pay $120 million for Declan Rice after having a hundred million bid rejected last summer. That's from Talk Sport. There was no hundred million bid last summer. It won't cost a hundred and twenty million, but it will cost somewhere around around a hundred million. Somewhere between I'd guess eighty and add-ons bringing it to a hundred is, is what I would guess. But that piece from Talk Sport's garbage. Um Manchester United are keeping tabs tabs on Yannick Carrasco. Real Madrid believes Jude Bellingham will choose a move to the Premier League. LAFC have inquired about Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. The Baggies are braced for an approach from Leeds and want Corberon to sign a new contract. Uh, Real Madrid legend Raul, who currently, who currently coaches the club's reserve side, has turned down the opportunity to replace Marsh. I don't think he has. Juventus deny reports that they are prepared to uh, terminate the contract of Pogba. Southampton owners discuss the future of Nathan Jones, but are, are set to stick by him for the time being. He will still be in charge for the game against Wolves. I wouldn't imagine he'd be around long after that. Ralph Hasenhutl is the leading candidate to take over at Hoffenheim. Aston Villa's Phil Coutinho has turned down a move to Galatasaray. That's interesting. I would have thought he would have been well up for getting away and playing somewhere. Chelsea have scouted Diogo Costa as they look to address their goalkeeping concerns in the summer. Another 60 million or so just to throw at it, no problem. Uh, Inter Milan have added, added Tosin Adara Bios name to their list of targets to replace Milan Skriniar. I would take him at Liverpool on a free this summer as the fourth centre-back. That would be no problem. Uh, Steve Bruce turned down the chance to manage Wigan Um he was approached after they sacked Colo Toure. Whether that's true or not, who knows? It's Football Insider, so, you know, could well be nonsense. That is it for today. That's all I've got. Take care of yourselves. Prayers and thoughts and all that with everybody in Turkey, everybody affected by the horrendous, horrendous scenes in Turkey with this these earthquakes. Um, Really, really heartbreaking to see. Uh, guys, give me two little bits here. Zaniolo is going to Galatasaray by the looks of it. Don't like that move for him. And Ralph Hasenutl has apparently turned down Hoffenheim. So uh, who knows? Maybe he's going to end up at Leeds. I will see you all on Friday. No pods tomorrow. I'm not here. I have I have something that has to be taken care of. So take care of yourselves. Enjoy your week. And I'll be back to shout at you and Guy and everybody else on Friday. Cheaters never prosper. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.